Hello and welcome to uh, Infinite Cast Season Two Inherent Cast, Cast Part Nine. I think it's ten now. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Sixty-nine percent sure. All right. Well, we'll see who's correct when I put the numbers on the episode. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take those odds. Great. Uh, comfortable with being wrong. What's going on? What's going What's going on with me? Yeah. I don't know. I'm all right. Yeah. We just turned Thanksgiving leftovers into uh, gnocchi alla vodka. That was crazy. That I've was never made gnocchi before. <laughs> yes. It's the idiot's pasta for sure. <laughs> yes. You don't need to do the thing where you have like the well of the flour and the flour needs to be like, you know, the the super fine pasta flour and you got to have the put the egg in the volcano and mix it up. Yeah. Just pasta for a dumbass like me. <laughs> just mashed potato. Uh, what well, was good? It was good. It was good. Mm. But now I'm weighted down by potato and, sorry. and tomato. That's the problem. Is gnocchi's very yeah, you know it's a, it's a heavy meal. It could it could use some like like a sausage or <laughs> to lighten so, it up. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> so like is it steel magnolias? There's a joke of like a a a cake that's like a cup of sugar, a cup of flour, a cup of butter, and it's like oh, and I like to serve it with ice cream because it cuts the sweetness. <laughs> I, really, I really like I that. Yeah, I don't I don't know that. I don't think I've seen that. Anyway. Uh, here we are back uh, with Pichon mm-hmm. uh, and mystery vibes. It's about to get real mysterious up in here. Yes. Yeah. Should we just dive in? Yeah. Okay, great. I don't have anything else going on. Me neither. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. Sunrise was on the way. The bars were just closed or closing out in front of Wavos. Remember Wavos? Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody was either at the tables along the sidewalk, sleeping with their heads on health waffles or in bowls of vegetarian chili, or being sick in the street, causing small motorcycle traffic to skid in the vomit and so forth. It was late winter in Gordita, though for sure not the usual weather. You heard people muttering to the effect that last summer the beach didn't have summer till August, and now there probably wouldn't be any winter till spring. (laughs) Santa Ana's had been blowing all the smog out of downtown L.A., funneling between the Hollywood and Puente Hills on westward through Gordita Beach and out to sea. And this had been going on for what seemed like weeks now. Offshore winds had been too strong to be doing the surf much good, but surfers found themselves getting up early anyway to watch the dawn weirdness, which seemed like a visible counterpart to the feeling in everybody's skin of desert winds and heat and relentlessness, with the exhaust from millions of motor vehicles mixing with microfine Mojave sand uh, to refract the light toward the bloody end of the spectrum, Everything dim, lurid, and biblical. Sailor take warning skies. The state liquor stamps over the tops of tequila bottles in the stores were coming unstuck, is how dry the air was. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling dry. You're feeling dry? Yeah, it's been, it's been kind of dry. Uh, liquor store owners could be filling those bottles with anything anymore. <laughs> Jets were taking off the wrong way from the airport. The engine sounds were not passing across the sky where they should have, so everybody's dreams got disarranged when people could get to sleep at all. In the little apartment complexes, the wind entered narrowing to whistle through the stairwells and ramps and catwalks, and the leaves of the palm trees outside rattled together with a liquid sound, so that from inside, in the darkened rooms, in louvered light, it sounded like a rainstorm, the wind raging in the concrete geometry, the palms beating together like the rush of a tropical downpour, enough to get you to open the door and look outside. And of course, there'd only be the same hot, cloudless depth of day, no rain in sight. For the last few weeks now, St. Flip of Lawndale, for whom Jesus Christ was not only personal savior but surfing consultant as well, 
who rode an old-school redwood plank running just under 10 feet with an inlaid mother-of-pearl cross on top and two plastic skegs of a violent pink color on the bottom, had been hitching rides from a friend with a little fiberglass runabout far out into the outside to surf what he swore was the gnarliest break in the world, with waves bigger than Waimea, bigger than Mavericks up the coast at Half Moon Bay or Todos Santos in Baja. Steward Eye on Trans-Pacific flights, making their final approaches to LAX, reported seeing him below, surfing where no surf should have been, a figure in white baggy trunks, whiter than the prevailing light could really account for. In the evenings, with the sunset behind him, he would ascend again to the secular groove of Honky Tonk Gordita Beach and grab a beer and silently hang out and smile at people when he had to and wait for first light to return. Back in his beach pad, there was a velvet painting of Jesus riding goofy foot on a rough-hewn board with outriggers, <laughs> meant to suggest a crucifix, those surfs seldom observed on the Sea of Galilee, uh, through, through, oh, wait, sorry, through surf seldom observed on the Sea of Galilee, though this hardly presented a challenge to Flip's faith. What was walking on water if it wasn't Bible talk for surfing? In Australia once, a local surfer holding the biggest can of beer Flip had ever seen had even sold him a fragment of the true board. <laughs> he must be holding a, a can of Foster's. Biggest can, Australian, biggest can, can of beer you've ever yeah. seen. Have you seen Foster's? Dude, it's a big can. It's fat. As usual, among the early customers at Wavos, there were differing opinions about what, if anything, the saint had been surfing. Some argued for freak geography, an uncharted seamount or outer reef. Others for a weird once-in-a-lifetime weather event, or maybe like a volcano or a tidal wave, someplace far out away in the North Pacific, whose swells by the time they reached the saint would have grown suitably gnarlacious. Doc, also up early, sat drinking Wavo's coffee, which was rumored to have double-crossed whites ground up in it. I looked that up before we started, and that's just amphetamine slang. Sure. Uh, and listening to the increasingly hectic conversation, and mostly observing the saint, who was waiting for his morning ride out to the break. Over the years, Doc had known a surfer or two who'd found and ridden other breaks located far from shore that nobody else had the equipment either under their feet or in their hearts to ride, who'd gone alone every day, often for years, shadows cast out over the water, to be taken, unphotographed and unrecorded, on rides of five minutes and longer through seething tunnels of solar blue-green, the true and unendurable color of daylight. Doc had noticed that after a while, these folks would no longer be quite where their friends expected them. Long-standing tabs at frond-roofed beer bars had to be forgiven. Shoreside honeys were left to graze mournfully at the gaze mournfully at the horizons, and eventually to take up with civilians from over the berm, claims adjusters, vice principals, security guards, and so forth. Even though rent on the abandoned surfer pads still got paid somehow, and mysterious lights kept appearing through the windows long after the honky tonks had closed for the night. And the people who thought they'd actually seen these absent surfers later admitted they might have been hallucinating after all. Do you think there's any place, have you ever been to a place or uh, imagine going to one where you might be able to actually like put drinks on your tab? Like a um, tab that persists beyond you being at that bar that night? Yeah. yeah I, I've, I've thought about it. It seems like a dangerous thing though, yes. honestly. I mean, yeah, I... I just in terms of a uh, like convenience and efficiency, paying at the end of the night works. But I would love the friendliness and trust inherent in being like, yeah, hey Johnny, put it on my tab. I'll get you next time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Doc had the saint figured for one of those advanced spirits. His guess was that Flip rode the freak waves he'd found not so much out of insanity or desire for martyrdom 
as in a true stone indifference, the deep focus of a religious ecstatic who'd been tap- who's been tapped by God to be wiped out in atonement for the rest of us, <laughs> and that one day Flip, like the others, would be someplace else, vanished even from Nash, the global network of anecdotal surfer horseshit, and these same people here would be sitting in Weibo's arguing about where he was. Flip's friend with the outboard showed up after a while, and amid a clamor of anti-powerboat remarks, the two split down the hall. Well, he's crazy, summarized Flocko the Bad. <laughs> I think they just go out and drink beer and fall asleep and come back when it gets dark, opined Zigzag Twong, who had switched last year to a shorter board and more forgiving waves. Ensenada Slim shook his head gravely. There's too many stories about that break. Times it's there, times it ain't. Almost like something's down below, guarding it. The olden day surfers called it death's dorsal. You don't just wipe out, it grabs you. Most often from behind, just as you're heading for what you think is safe water, or reading some obviously fatal shit totally the wrong way, and it pulls you down so deep you never come back up in time to take another breath. And just as you get lunged forever, so the old tales go, you hear a cosmic, insane surfaris laugh echoing across the sky. <laughs> Everybody in Wavos, including the saint, proceeded to cackle, ha 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 ha, wipe out! Huh? <laughs> yeah. More or less in unison, and Zigzag and Flacco started arguing about the two different wipeout singles and which label, Dot or Decca, featured the laugh and which didn't. <laughs> uh, sort of, sortilege. It's spelled sorti- sortilege, but I think it's pronounced sortilege. Sortilege. Sortilege, who had been silent till now, chewing on the end of one braid and directing huge enigmatic lamps from one theoretician to another, finally piped up. A patch of breaking surf right in the middle of what's supposed to be deep ocean? A bottom where there was no bottom before? Well, really, think about it. All through history, islands in the Pacific Ocean have been rising and sinking. And what if whatever Flip saw out there is something that sank long ago and is rising now slowly to the surface again? Some island? Oh, an island at least. By this point in California history, enough hippie metaphysics had oozed in among surfing folk that even the regulars here at Wavos, some of them, seeing where this was headed, began to shift their feet and look around for other things to do. Lemuria again, muttered Flacco. (laughs) Problem with Lemuria? inquired Sortilege sweetly. The Atlantis of the Pacific. That's the one, Flacco. And now you say this lost continent. Is it rising to the surface again? Her eyes narrowing with what, in a less composed person, could have been taken for annoyance. Not so strange, really. There's always been predictions that someday Lemuria would reemerge. And what better time than now, with Neptune moving at last out of the Scorpio death trip, a water sign, by the way, and rising into the Sagittarian light of the higher mind. So shouldn't somebody be calling National Geographic or something? (laughs) Surfer Magazine? That's it, boys. I've had my Barney quota for the week. I'll walk you, Doc said. They moseyed south down the alleys of Gordita Beach in the slow seep of dawn and the wintertime smell of crude oil and salt water. After a while, Doc said, Ask you something? You heard Shasta split the country and now you need to talk to somebody. Read my thoughts again, babe. Read mine then. You know who to see as well as I do. Vahey Fairfield is the closest thing to a real oracle we're ever going to see in this neck of the woods. Maybe you're prejudiced because he's your teacher. Maybe you'd like to place a small wager it's only all that acid talking. Throwing your money away. No wonder you can't keep your IOU straight. Never had that problem when you were working at the office. 
And would I ever consider coming back? No, not without benefits, including dental and chiropractic. And you know that's way beyond your budget. I could offer freak-out insurance, maybe. I already have that. It's called Shikantaza. You ought to try it. What I get for falling in love outside my religion. We should be what? Colombian Orthodox? Her boyfriend Spike was out on the porch with a cup of coffee. Hey, Doc, everybody's up early today. She's trying to talk me into seeing her guru. Don't look at me, man. You know she's always right. For a while after he got back from Vietnam, Spike had been keenly paranoid about going any place he might run into hippies, believing all long hairs to be anti-war bomb throwers who could read his vibrations and tell immediately where he'd been and hate him for it and try to work some sinister hippie mischief against him. The first time Doc met Spike, he found him a little frantically trying to assimilate into the freak culture, which sure hadn't been there when he left and had made returning to the U.S. like landing on another planet full of hostile alien life forms. Trippy, man. How about that Abby Hoffman? Let's roll us a couple of numbers and hang out and listen to some electric prunes. <laughs> Doc could see that Spike would be fine as soon as he calmed down. Sort of Lee says you were over in Vietnam, huh? Yeah, I'm one of them baby killers. He had his face angled down, but he was looking Doc in the eyes. Tell the truth, I admire anybody's had the balls, Doc said. Hey, I just went in every day and worked on helicopters. Me and Charlie, no worries. We spent a lot of time in town together, hanging out, smoking that righteous native weed, listening to rock and roll on the armed forces radio. I was a real nine to five Vietnam conscript. <laughs> Keep your head down. <laughs> Repair your helicopter. Every once in a while, they'd wave you over and go, look, you going to sleep on the base tonight? You'd say, yeah, why? And they'd say, don't sleep on the base tonight. Save my ass a couple of times like that. Their country, they want it, fine with me, long as I can just work on my bike without nobody hassling me. <laughs> Doc shrugged. Seems fair. Is that yours outside, that Moto Guzzi? Yeah, picked it up from some road maniac from Barstow, Barstow, who just rode the shit out of it, so putting it back in shape is taking up a few weekends. That and old Sorrelige, they're keeping me cheerful. It's really nice to see you guys together. Spike looked over at the corner of the room, thought a minute, said carefully, We go back some. I was a year ahead of her at Miracosta. We dated a couple times. Then when I was over there, we started writing. Next thing anybody knew I was going, well, maybe I won't re-up after all. Must have been around that time I had that matrimonial in Inglewood where the BF tried to piss on me through a keyhole I was looking in. <laughs> Liege will never let me forget that. She was still working for me then. I remember thinking that something cool must have been happening in her life. <laughs> As time passed, Spike was able slowly to learn to relax into the social yoga positions defining life at the beach. The Moto Guzzi brought in its share of admirers to hang out and smoke dope and drink beer on the cement apron in front of the garage where Spike worked on it. And he found one or two veterans back from the NAM who wanted more or less the same unhassled civilian afterlife he did, especially Farley Branch, who'd been in the Signal Corps and managed to boost some equipment nobody wanted, including an old Bell and Howell 16mm movie camera from World War II, Army Green, Springwound, Indestructible, and only a little bigger than the roll of film it used. They would take off on their bikes from time to time, looking for targets of opportunity, both discovering after a while a common interest and respect for the natural environment, having seen too much of it napalmed, polluted, defoliated till the laterite beneath was sunbaked solid and useless. Farley had already collected dozens of reels worth of stateside environmental abuse, especially Channel View Estates, which reminded him strangely of jungle clearings he had known. 
According to Spike, Farley had been out there the same day as Doc, shooting footage of the vigilante raid, and was waiting now to get it back from the lab. <laughs> See, I want to. I would like the, a whole book narrative about these people. Yeah, the return uh, from Vietnam fil- bike film enthusiasts. Yeah, uh, Spike himself had been growing obsessed with the El Segundo oil refinery and tanks just up the coast. Even when the wind here cooperated, Gordita was still like living on a houseboat anchored in a tar pit. Everything smelled like crude. Oil spilled from tankers washed up on the beach. Black, thick, gooey. Anybody who walked on the beach got it on the bottoms of their feet. There were two schools of thought. Dennis, for example, or sorry, Dennis rhymes with penis. <laughs> Dennis, for example, liked to let it just accumulate till it was thick as Haraji's soles, thereby saving him the price of a pair of sandals. Others, more fastidious, incorporated regular foot cleaning into their day, like shaving or brushing their teeth. Don't get me wrong, Spike said the first time Sorta Liege found him on the porch with a table knife, scraping off the soles of his feet. I love it here in Gordita, mostly because it's your hometown and you love it, but now again there's just some little fucking detail. They're destroying the planet, she agreed. The good news is that like any living creature, Earth has an immune system too. And sooner or later, she's going to start rejecting agents of disease like the oil industry. And hopefully before we end up like Atlantis and Lemuria. It was the belief of her teacher, Vahey Fairfield, that both empires had sunk into the sea because Earth couldn't accept the levels of toxicity they'd reached. Vahey's okay, Spike told, told Doc now, though he sure does an awful lot of acid. It helps him see, explained Sortilege. Vahey wasn't just into LSD. Acid was the medium he swam and occasionally surfed in. He got it delivered, possibly by special pipeline, from Laguna Canyon, direct from the labs of the post-Owsley psychedelic mafia believed in those days to be operating back in there. In the course of systematic daily tripping, he had found a spirit guide named Kamukia, a Lumuro Hawaiian demigod from the dawn of Pacific history, <laughs> who centuries ago had been a sacred functionary of the lost continent now lying beneath the Pacific Ocean. And if anybody can put you in touch with Shasta Fay, Sorta Liege said, it's Vehi. Come on, Liege. You know, I had some weird history with him. Well, he thinks you've been trying to avoid him, and he can't understood why. He can't, he can't understood why. <laughs> Simple. Rule number one of the Doper's Code, never, ever put nobody. But he told you that was acid. No, he told me it was Burgomeister Special Edition. Well, that's what that means. Special edition. It's a phrase he uses. You know that. He knows that. By which point they were out on the Esplanade in, uh, en route to Vahey's place. Voluntary or whatever, the trip Vahey'd put him on without, with that magic beer can was one Doc kept hoping he'd forget about with time, but didn't. It had all begun, apparently, some three billion years ago, <laughs> on a planet in a binary star system quite a good distance from Earth. Doc's name then was something like, it's, this is spelled just XQQ. What do you think? Zook? Zook. <laughs> uh, so it was named something like Zook. And because of the two suns and the way <laughs> they rose and set, he worked some very complicated shifts, cleaning up after a lab full of scientist priests who invented things in a gigantic facility, which had formerly been a mountain of pure osmium. One day he heard some commotion down a semi-forbidden corridor and went to have a look. Ordinarily, sedate and studious personnel were running around in uncontrolled glee. We did it, they keep screaming. One of them grabbed Doc, or actually Zook. Here he is, the perfect subject. Before he knew it, he was signing releases, 
and being costumed in what he would soon learn was a classic hippie outfit of the planet Earth and led over to a, partic- a peculiarly shimmering chamber in which a mosaic of Looney Tunes motifs was repeating obsessively away in several dimensions at once in vividly audible yet unnameable spectral frequencies. The lab people were explaining to him, meanwhile, that they just invented intergalactic time travel and that he was about to be sent across the universe and maybe three billion years into the future. And uh, one other thing, just before throwing the final switch, the universe, it's been like expanding. So when you get there, everything else will be the same weight, but bigger with all the molecules farther apart, farther apart, except for you, you'll be the same size, same size and density, meaning you'll be about a foot shorter than everybody else, but much more compact, like (laughs) solid. Can I walk through walls? Zook wanted to know, but by then space and time as he knew it, not to mention sound, light, and brainwaves were all undergoing these unprecedented changes. And next thing he knew, he was standing on the corner of Dunecrest and Gordita Beach Boulevard, watching what seemed to be an endless procession of young women in bikinis, some of whom were smiling at him and offering thin cylindrical objects whose oxidization products were apparently meant to be inhaled. (laughs) As it turned out, he was able to go through drywall construction with little little discomfort, although not having x-ray vision, he did run into some disagreeable moments with wall studs and eventually curtailed the practice. His new hyperdensity also allowed him sometimes to deflect simple weapons directed at him with hostile intent, though bullets were another story, and he also learned to avoid those when possible. Slowly, the Gordita Beach of his trip merged with the everyday version, and he began to assume that things were back to normal, except for when, now and then, he'd forget and lean against a wall and suddenly find himself halfway through it and trying to apologize to somebody on the other side. Well, sort of, you suppose, many of us do get uncomfortable when we discover some secret aspect to our personality, but it's not like you ended up three feet tall with a density of lead. Easy for you to say. Try it sometime. Uh, how's our timing? Uh, I think that's going to be about 22 minutes, 22 minutes. We can go a little. We're not quite at the end of the chapter. How many more pages? To one, two, three, three and a half. Let's do it. Okay. They had arrived at a beach pad with salmon walls and an aqua roof and with a dwarf palm growing out of the sand in front, decorated all over with empty beer cans, among which Doc couldn't help noticing a number of ex burgies Actually, Doc remembered, I've got this coupon, buy a case, get one free, expires midnight tonight, maybe I'd better. Hey, it's your ex-old lady, man, I'm just along for the finder's fee. They were greeted by a person with a shaved head, wearing wire-rimmed sunglasses and a green and magenta kimono with some kind of bird motif on it. He was a dedicated old-school longboarder recently back from Oahu, having known uh, somehow in advance about the epic surf that hit the north shore of that island back in December. Man, did you miss a big story, he greeted Doc. You too, man. I'm talking about sets of 50-foot waves that wouldn't quit. 50, huh? I'm talking about Charlie Manson getting popped. (laughs) They looked at each other. On the face of it, Vahey Fairfield finally said finally, two separate worlds, each unaware of each other, but they always connect someplace. Manson and the surge of 69, said Doc. I'd be very surprised if they weren't connected, Vahey said. That's because you think everything is connected, Sorleish said. Think, he turned back to Doc, beaming. You're here about your ex-old lady. What? You got my message. You just don't know you did. Oh, sure. Woo-woo telephone and telegraph. I keep forgetting. Not a very spiritual person, he remarked. His attitude needs some work, Sorleish said. But uh, for the level he's on, he's okay. 
Here, take some of this. Vehi held out a piece of blotter with something written on it in Chinese, maybe Japanese. Oh boy, now what? More through the wall sci-fi, right? Groovy, can't wait. Not this, said Vehi. This is designed expressly for you. Sure, like a t-shirt. Doc popped it in his mouth. Wait, expressly for me, what's that mean? But after putting on to Hysteria at top volume, Tiny Tim singing The Ice Caps Are Melting from his <laughs> recent album, which had been somehow fiendishly programmed to repeat indefinitely, Vehi had either left the area or become invisible. <laughs> at least it wasn't quite as cosmic as the last trip this acid enthusiast had acted as travel agent for. When it began, exactly wasn't too clear, but at some point, via some simple normal transition, Doc found himself in the vividly lit ruin of an ancient city that was, and also wasn't, everyday greater L.A., stretching on for miles, house after house, room after room, every room inhabited. At first, he thought he recognized the people he ran into, though he couldn't always put names to them. Everybody living at the beach, for example, Doc and all his neighbors, were and were not refugees from the disaster which had submerged Lemuria thousands of years ago. Seeking areas of land they believed to be safe, they had settled on the coast of California. Somehow unavoidably, the war in Indochina figured in. The U.S., being located between the two oceans into which Atlantis and Lemuria had disappeared, was the middle term in their ancient rivalry, remaining trapped in that position up to the present day, imagining itself to be fighting in Southeast Asia out of free will, but in fact repeating a karmic loop as old as the geography of these oceans, with Nixon a descendant of Atlantis, just as Ho Chi Minh was of Lemuria, because for tens of thousands of years, all wars in Indochina had really been proxy wars, going back, back to the previous world, before the U.S. or French Indochina, before the Catholic Church, before the Buddha, before written history, to the moment when three Lemurian holy men landed on those shores, fleeing the terrible inundation which had taken their homeland, bringing with them the stone pillar they had rescued from their temple in Lemuria and would set up as the foundation of their new life and the heart of their exile. It would become known as the Sacred Stone of Mu, and over the centuries to follow, as invading armies came and went, the stone would be taken away each time for safekeeping to a secret location to be put up someplace different when the troubles were over. Ever since France began colonizing Indochina, on through the present occupation by the U.S., the sacred stone had remained invisible, withdrawn into its own space. Tiny Tim was still singing the same number. Moving through the three-dimensional city labyrinth, Doc noticed after a while that the lower levels seemed a little damp. By the time the water was ankle-deep, he began to get the idea. This entire vast stru structure was sinking. He went up to steps higher and higher level, or he went up steps to higher and higher levels, but the water level kept rising. Beginning to panic and cursing Vehi for setting him up once again, he felt more he felt more than saw the Lemurian spirit guide Kamukia as a shadow of deep clarity. We must leave now, said the voice in his mind. They were flying together, close to the tops of the waves of the Pacific. There was dark weather at the horizon. Ahead of them, a white blur began to sharpen and grow, and slowly it resolved into the sails of a top-masted schooner, running along full spread before a fresh breeze. Doc recognized the golden fang. Preserved, Kamukea silently corrected him. This was no dream ship. Every sail and piece of rigging was doing its work, and Doc could hear the snap of canvas and the creak of timbers. He angled in toward the port quarter of the schooner, and there was Shasta Fay, brought here, it seemed, under some kind of duress, out on deck, alone, gazing back at the way she'd come, the home she'd left. Doc tried calling her name, but of course, words out here were only words. She'll be all right, Kamukea assured him. You don't have to worry. 
This is another thing you must learn, for what you must learn is what I am showing you. I'm not sure what that means, man. Even Doc could feel now how mercilessly, despite the wind and the sails of the moment so clean and direct, this honest old fishing vessel had come to be inhabited, possessed by an ancient and evil energy. How would Shasta be safe in that? I have brought you this far, but now you must return through your own efforts. The Lemurian was gone, and Doc was left at his negligible altitude above the Pacific to find his way out of a vortex of corroded history, to evade, somehow, a future that seemed dark whichever way he turned. It's okay, Doc. Sordelige had been calling his name now for a while. They were outside on the beach. It was nighttime. Fahey wasn't there. The ocean lay close by, dark and invisible, except for luminescence where the surf broke stately as the baseline to some great uncontainable rock and roll classic. From somewhere in the ba- uh, somewhere back in the alleys of Gordita Beach came gusts of doper's merriment. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, don't say it, warned Sordelige. Don't say, let me tell you about my trip. Makes no sense. Like, we were out in this... I can either press your lips gently close with my finger or she made a fist and positioned it near his face. If your guru Vehi did not just set me up. After about a minute, she said, what? Huh? What was I talking about? (laughs) That's the end of the chapter. Nice. Trippy man. Trippy man. Secrets secrets of Lemuria revealed. The the ancients of of Mumu. That's not quite the same thing, is yes, it? Yes, of Mumu Land. Justified and ancient. Justified and ancient. They're justified and they're ancient. It does, you know, if you have a little bit of an active imagination, I bet you could really could have convinced a lot of people of basically anything in the 60s. <laughs> convinced the people of anything. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, mind-expanding drugs, that's the, that's like yes. the whole point. And then, Get you some new ideas. Yes. Shake up that matter. Make a compelling story. Ancient aliens, start a cult, you know, Scientology. Yes, yeah, Scientology is is that. Yes. I mean, listen, I have, have I talked about my game? I'm now I'm wondering if I was secretly influenced by this book when I came up with my, my stoner game. Oh, yeah. Alien. Have I talked about Alien no, on the podcast? I don't think so. Ugh, if I have, I'm sorry. If I haven't, it's when you get stoned and then you pretend that you're an alien who's been transported to earth and, then you, and you understand English. Like you can understand the words that people are saying, um, but you don't know the like semantics of the world. So you have to start making inferences. Like if you look at a person walking a dog, you're like, this human appears to be the, the master uh, to this subservient being because the human's walking upright and he's got this thing on a string. Or they seem to have say- a friendly relationship. They seem to be accepted in society. There's many of these Critter is walking well, around. I wonder if you inferred that the that the human was actually in the thrall of the dog because the dog is ahead is ahead of and guiding and leading the the human. Well, it sounds like if we both played alien together, that we would get in, into a spirited argument about this, perhaps in an alien style. Uh, I think this would freak me out. Did you? It's fun. Did you see the uh, the dishes TV chart? Yeah. Wait, yes. Uh, the the quadrant where you chart. The a weeds effect on you. Yeah, the y-axis is dishes are fun or TV is fun. TV is scary, and then the x-axis is uh, dishes, dishes are, are fun, fun. Dishes are scary. You know, I'm not sure if I've ever had dishes are fun weed. I think I think I've I had dishes are scary weed. I need to go do things that I alone <laughs> <laughs> that I can. I have a lot of TV. Off. I have a lot of TV is fun weed. Yes. Um, uh. <laughs> 
Anyway, who's to say that we aren't aliens that have uh, uh, teleported yes. three, three billion years? Well, I I do feel that I am full of Thetans. Just do, bri- do you? brimming with Thetans. Really? I think so. I, I do not think I have gone clear. Is each Thetan its own being? Yes. So you're infested with a bunch of ones? Yes. I think that the idea is that you get, you're, you're born as at least one. Yeah. And then I think you can have more come into you if you are acting particularly suppressive. Okay. Um, I do also like, so we, I like that the, the dip into Southern California 60s spirituality here because I think we get like at least two types in this chapter. And one is the like uh, the hippie Jesus freak. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciate them touching on because, you know, again, I think, as I've said before on this, one of the things that's interesting about the setting is that you basically get like every possible kind of like new american ideology down here and one is like the, mm-hmm. the burbling up evangelical uh movement uh in the form of somebody who might be like yeah a hippie who has gone hardcore uh jesus sure um because jesus <laughs> was a hippie yes he was walking around wearing sandals uh hanging out with sc- scuzzy people He's shredding tasty gnar yeah uh on the sea of galilee yeah um, and then you also get this guru type character. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very funny how quickly they, they just went into this whole thing where he was like re- recalling the bad trip and then is just immediately handed more acid. And is like, yes, okay, I will yeah, take sure. this. Uh, yeah. I don't think that, Doc, it doesn't seem like Doc has that much uh, impulse control. No. Um, he's relatable in that way. Well, it's not even impulse control. He's just so go with the flow. It's like if somebody hands you something, you're going to I mean, take it. also I feel like the the secret thing that he worked out in his head was like, oh, I'll, whatever, it can't hurt. I'm kind of at a dead end with yes. Shasta right now, so maybe I can learn something. Maybe and apparently he did. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to imagine he's going to interpret this as saying that uh, she has something to do with this golden fang ship. Yeah. I also like the particular surfer milieu of the attitude of the surfer being somewhere between uh uh, hippie and old like crank seaman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know a where you dog. Yeah, where you have like you're very linked to the uh the the fl- the ebb and flows and rhythms of the ocean. Yes. And then you also have or that thing that they were talking about of like the global whisper network of uh of of surf legend. Yeah. Which seems very like 19th century sailing. It's true. This uh, the tales of salty dogs. Also, yeah, you you do have to be a, a naturalist of sort. Yeah. Um. Because you're you're up, up there in the water. I don't think I realized that how oily Gordita Beach was until yes this now. Um, obviously we we've, well, we've cleaned that up a little bit since yes. Well, I, so we uh, we imagine that Gordita Beach is like Venice, right? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a stand-in for Manhattan Beach specifically. Manhattan Beach, but yeah. but yeah. Well, when you get further down uh, the coast of LA, you do run in those more like industrial, industrial uh, zones, and we are. Uh, Four years away from the popular induction of environmentalist movement with the book Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. I guess. Is that 75? Wh- what year is this? 71? I mean, it's already kind of burbling up. I mean, uh, Nixon creates. Or seven, the, I guess it's just 70. It's just 70? Yeah, so a little later than that. Nixon creates the EPA in another year or two. Uh, good job, Nixon. Uh, <laughs> and the Clean Water Act. Yes, right. He he really did. Perhaps it was his uh, California nature that uh, exposed him to the th- extremes between extreme natural beauty and extreme 
uh, industrial. I think we've waste. talked about it on the show before. How 1970. There was, there Sorry. was this. There was still for a while before it got totally eradicated and replaced by the unrepentant death drive of modern conservatism, mm. a a line of traditional conservatism that literally meant conservation. <laughs> you yes. know, uh, you don't know, cha- like, don't change a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like like Teddy Roosevelt, you know, was a conservationist, and he was, you know, there, there were still threads of that part of the Republican Party. Silent uh, Spring was sixty two. We were already we were yeah, already in this. The spring shit. It was already becoming silent. Yeah. Um, and of course, obviously, the the napalm stuff referenced yes, in this chapter. Exactly. Um, to to which I'd say, surrounded by that much literal fire and brimstone, why wouldn't you resort to like uh, Hindu diet Hinduism? Yes. I mean, Vehi Fairfield. That sounds like a a white guy from Connecticut. Yes, exactly. That's the other thing is that has become a guru. I won't name her by name, but when I worked at a health and wellness website, um, one of the more creepy things that I noticed was there was some kind of like not an award show. There's just some kind of event that they put on that involved like not spiritual leaders, but like wellness experts. And one of the experts was a spiritual expert. And it was a white woman who had taken like a literal guru name. And I was just like, what? Uh, uh, like she, uh, oh God, what are we doing? And then I think she got discredited a couple years later because was, they always do. Was she, was she called like guru? Gurus. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I won't, I won't say it, but yeah, I think it was like she had, I think she took on an, an Indian name and called herself guru. And she was just fully a white lady. <laughs> I don't know. It's you have to have mad confidence in your your spirituality to do this, something like that. Yeah, I guess to take the name, like if some maybe if you like done a bunch of studying and somebody else has referred to you as like you know you like you've gotten the black belt in spirituality and some and your teacher has said now this is this is Guru O'Brien. Yeah, uh, Baba O'Reilly. Baba O'Reilly. That's uh, my that's my spiritual leader name. Uh, but you're like, please, 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 just call me Molly. Uh, oh. <laughs> Please. O- only only my um PhD supervisor calls me <laughs> Guru O'Brien. Uh Oh jeez. Anyway, uh what was I going to say? I- isn't that also just a question of spirituality is the you on one hand you've got your kind of more traditional religions that are like if you want to have any kind of authority like you need to sacrifice things and become like a priest. Yes. Or a nun. And then there's this kind of open-ended hippie thing that's like yeah, you can be a priest too, or a priestess. Yes, or rather, perhaps uh, even the more more new wavy thing. I declare myself. I declare myself. Yes, a priest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I feel. Uh, I feel like I can say. No, I'm not going to say. I don't. We don't need to start a whole thing. Um. Anyway, just I. You know, if so if someone is like calls themselves a guru, you kind of have to like. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need a lot of credentials. The Beatles made like an entire album about this already, <laughs> and that was that was like 60 years ago. Yeah, they, 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 they invented rock music and you know qu- questioned charlatan spirituality all at the same time. And you dare to say that you don't like their music or you think it sucks? Get out of town. Anyway, is there anything else from this? Oh, we didn't do our recap. No, we didn't. I'm scared. <sighs> I think we might need to start writing it down. Oh, boy. Or All going right. back and listening to a, another episode and, and then... Should I try it? Out. Do you want to? Uh, Shasta visits Doc, tips him off at the plot to, of Milky, Mickey Wolfman, 
uh, his wife and his wife's boyfriend trying to put him away. Yes. Then she disappears. Uh, then he talks to Tariq Khalil, who puts him after Glenn Charlock. He goes to Channel View States, uh, gets bonked. Glenn Charlock is dead. Yes. He gets questioned by Bigfoot. Yes. Then gets let go. Then he's like, oh, God, what's what's going on? Um, he uh, Okay, then Tariq disappears. Uh, I've, already, <laughs> I've already lost. I'm doing a little... Oh, God. Is your... The thing about his lawyer... Um. Oh, okay. Hope Harlingen. Oh, yeah. Gives him a call. Th- uh, Coy, her husband. She thinks he didn't. Od does a little bit of surf, surf rock recon. Um. Beep beep. Uh, he meets his old uh, repo guy with the computer. Uh, yes. And then he goes to see, uh, Sloan Wolfman, and meets her boyfriend. Riggs, yes, uh, who's into zooms, uh, and he's trying to see if Sloan might tip him off to what Looney Bin uh, Laughing Academy they put Mickey in, and sees that uh, the cops are already there, kind of digging in. Then he talk. Oh, he also at one point talks to the other cop that also hates Bigfoot, who yes. is like Bigfoot is being sketchy. Uh, he sees Petty Kimball, his. Paramore of sorts. Old fling in the DA's and office. She starts asking him about things, including his steward eye friends, Lourdes and Motella, and their uh, dates, Cookie and Joaquin, who are like money smugglers or whatever, cash smugglers. Yes. Uh, and then she passes him off to the FBI and they softly interrogate him. Uh, then he goes out with Lourdes and Motella, uh, and that's where uh, the Golden Fang starts coming in. Yes. He sees Jade. Uh, from from the massage parlor mm-hmm. where he got bonked, and she says, "Beware the golden fang." Coy Harlingen emerges in the dark uh, yes. in the parking lot and is still alive and is like, "Yeah, I'm whatever." Uh, and then <laughs> that basically what, brings us up to now, right? More or less, every and it's like everyone knows about the golden fang. Everyone is asking him about Shasta. He still doesn't know where the fuck Shasta is. He talks to Sancho, which is um, oh, yeah, a maritime, the, feast, the yes. maritime lawyer at uh, getting the Admiral's luau. Yeah, um, well, of course. And he gets the full, between that and then he goes to Fritz with the computer mm-hmm. and gets the full download on the sketchy nature of the Golden Fang. And then he's at this point, he's always coming to like a, a dead end and yes. then turning. So at this point, he's like, all right, fine, I'll let me try some acid. We are fully, Halfway. 100%, not even a third of the way through the book. Not even a third of the way? Mm-hmm. Oh. So there's so a got... lot more plot to get plotted Great. before we're done with this I can't shit. wait for you to do the entire thing off the top of your head. Uh-huh. I'll, keep, I'll keep in practice. We, we oh, waited a little. Just, I think you just need to keep on consolidating down to the until you can do every three scene in like three words. Okay. Shasta Fay uh, needs help. Yes. Tariq Khalil says investigate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Channel View Estates gets attacked. Yeah. Uh, Bigfoot gives him a ride. Here, I feel, I feel like we can boil it down to like, all right, Shasta, gone. Uh, Tariq Khalil, uh, Glenn Sherlock, uh, Channel View Estates, Jade uh, from the massage parlor, bonked. Wake up, Bigfoot. Uh Coy, uh, Hope, Hope Harlingen. Coy Harlingen. Tells him about Coy Harlingen. 
uh, sur- surf rock interrogation, uh, repo man computer, <laughs> um, yes. and so uh, on and so Slo- forth. Yeah, Sloan Sloan Wolfman, uh, blah 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 blah, and so on yes. and so forth. It's really just characters. And then eventually, you'll just start uh, listing the characters that we meet in order. Yeah. All right, great. Well, this will be a good Cliff's Notes for the for the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, By the end of this, we will all know exactly what happened in this book. Koi Harlingen. Yeah. All right. Koi. How do you feel? I, I feel I feel groovy, man. All right. Well, should we sign off and watch that four-hour YouTube gossip video? About the plagiarism? Yeah. You know, just the yeah. YouTube gossip. If we start it now. We'll be done by 1 a.m. <laughs> that sounds great. Great. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, okay. we'll be with you again next week. Yes. Bye-bye, everyone. Goodbye.